Well, for a minute, you're smoking a cigar there on the front row there with, with that thing in your mouth. Okay. <laughs> well, Judy was nudging you for something. I didn't know that. No. I'm so glad to be with you today again and, and share in the Word of God. I'm going to be talking uh, in just a few moments about Barnabas, but because we have a number of women here, when I say Barnabas, let's think of Barnicious, uh, the lady. So what I'm saying about Barnabas is for you, too. And uh, God uses everything. Many people think, well, I can't preach or I can't teach or I can't do this or that. But God has something that you can do. And I hate to even mention it, but I want to give you a list of the people that God used. The next time you feel that God can't use you, just remember Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene, well, well, you know. The Samaritan woman was divorced. And there's more than that, but I, I can't stand anymore. God uses people. People with all kinds of problems and difficulties. But when we yield to him, this message is on one person who did, and he affected the whole world. The, the morning message in, in the preaching service deals with the most important verse in the Bible for a Christian. And if you master that one verse and apply that one verse, it will radicalize your life forever. And so I'm giving you the best that I know this particular uh, day that uh, I know a lot of things that don't work. I know a few things that work very, very well. And uh, I failed in many areas. And I will share uh, a few with you uh, as the messages progress today. Barnabas, the mentor of men, the ministry of encouragement. All of us need to be encouraged. All of us need to encourage others. This is a world of difficulty. We live in a country that has radically changed from what it was uh, when I was a boy and growing up. I was in the Navy in World War II. Uh, this is another world. And uh, it's hard to know where to invest money or where to even spend it or do I save it and will it be worth anything if I save it. We're in a world especially that's challenging. But to encourage others is a radical reversal of the age we're in where you get all the bad news. If someone got killed in, in, a, in a mall, you wouldn't hear about it 
for four or five days uh, because they had no TV uh, when I grew up. And you had to read it in the paper. If it was something really, really hot, they put an extra out. And it was still 24 hours uh, for the extra to, to probably get, get to the door. But we're in a day of instant communication of bad news. Isn't it true? Yes. Now, but God's looking for a Barnabas, a Barnitius. He's looking for a man and woman that can see the power of God in a difficult situation. To see that God still has a plan and he's not asleep and he's not dead and he does communicate now. That's the kind of God we need to get a hold of in our lives. Uh, this Levite from Cyprus, Joseph was his name, means Savior, and he was renamed Barnabas, the encourager. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Levites worked with music, worship. Barnabas, or Barney, I call him, gave money to the apostles. He sold property to meet the needs of the people. Uh, it was absolutely wonderful. And he encouraged, he encouraged with his money. Uh, as a young seminary student, I had on my heart to work on a doctorate in a particular field. Uh, when I suggested that particular field to the head professor, he turned it down. Well, I was married with a brand new bride living in a two-room apartment uh, with no air conditioner, and it was over 100 every day. And, and what I had planned to work on a doctorate and get a, uh, it was shattered because God had led me to write this manuscript on how Paul nurtured new converts. And so I sent an article on that subject to the state paper uh, called the Baptist Standard. The editor, E.S. James, sent the article back to me with scratches all over it and, and, and notes and things, change this, don't use this, uh, try this. And he said at the bottom, rewrite it and send it back. Well, at least he read it. <laughs> That's the first thing that had happened to me. I rewrote the thing, sent it back. He made some more notes about it and sent it back to me again. And so I rewrote it and added the notes or ideas and said it more plainly and changed the sentences and all. I sent it back to him. He said, it's getting better. He sent it back to me again. The fourth time, he kept it and published it. Professors from Dallas Seminary, all our seminaries, saw the article, and I got dozens of letters from people saying, this is what we need to emphasize. We've got to do more than dip them and drop them. We've got to help them to grow. We've got to get them in the Word of God. And, and what you're saying, we need, we need more about. Do you know any more about it? Well, that was, I was going to write a manuscript for a doctorate on it. So my wife said, go ahead and write it. Anyway, honey, I, 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 can, get, I can get enough work so, so that you can write. Sometimes I spent all day writing one paragraph. Eventually, the book was turned down by four major publishers, including our Baptist publisher. Erdman said, we like this. Why isn't this taught at seminary? I said, if you publish it, it will be. And that was a word from God because they published it. 
and it became a seminary textbook and translated into six languages and used all over the world and sold 100,000 copies. And people began to invite me to share what was in the book that the seminary refused to even consider for our doctorate. And so I spent 40 years traveling all over the world sharing what wasn't worth a doctorate, but it changed my whole life. Because it's in the Word of God. That one guy encouraged me, and I still remember his name, and that was 60, over 60 years ago. Are you aware that we need to have sentences that we can use to give to people to encourage them? It's so easy to see the, the, the problem. Oh, we're all brilliant that way. But to encourage someone, just swallow the criticism and think of something good you can say. Lift people up. Wow, what a thing. This was Barnabas. This was Barnabas. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Uh, and, and we want to... Barnabas, we, we don't know when Barnabas was converted from the Isle of Cyprus, but he received Jesus Christ as his Savior, and uh, I believe he denied himself and took up his cross to follow Jesus Christ. First he gave himself to Christ, and then he gave himself to others. Notice in Acts 9. In Acts 9, uh, verses 26 and 27, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he wanted to join with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Oh, yeah, he had, he had murdered Stephen. And, uh, and they believed not that he was the disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, how he had spoken to him, how he preached boldly in Damascus in the name of the Lord. And because of Barnabas, they received Saul of, of Tarsus. And he began to work with them, and he disputed greatly with the Grecians, and they sought to kill him. And, and they went out to Caesarea, and eventually uh, they asked him to go back home, really. Are you aware that Barnabas spent eight or nine years in his home with no one calling on him or using him? In, 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 Saul spent that time eight or nine years back in his hometown. Think of all those years. The greatest apostle, the greatest uh, writer of Scripture, and some of you perhaps feel you've been somewhere and, and no one cares, and you're kind of treading water, and no one knows, and, and God allowed the greatest apostle writer of basically half the New Testament with the men that he discipled and all to be eight or nine years alone getting to know him, being with him, and witnessing just there in his hometown. It was absolutely amazing. Barnabas gave himself to Saul. He gave himself to Mark in Acts 15, 37, 39. Uh, uh, he was a relative uh, in 37, and Barnabas determined to take with him John would name Mark, but Paul was not going to take him because he wouldn't carry those suitcases. They were going over a mountain, and, and Mark was the suitcase carrier. Uh, Mark was the a gopher guy, and, and he left them and went back home. <laughs> and, and 
Paul said, I'm not going to take that guy. He, he was unfaithful. And, and Barnabas said, no, he's a good guy. Let's take him. Let's give him another chance. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul took Silas and departed. And they didn't meet again as a, as a team. Uh, but they'd spent time together all along for many, many months and years serving the Lord together. Barnabas, do you have anyone that will stick up for you? Do you have anyone that will stand for you? Uh, no one's perfect. This guy, it's just fabulous. He mentored both Mark and Paul the Apostle. You know what that means? Without writing a single book of the New Testament, he got a fraction of the action. Anyone in, you're a father, uh, you're a grandfather, you got grandchildren, you get a fraction of the action. You got grandchildren, you really are getting more and more a fraction of the action. It's fabulous. And the more children and grandchildren, whee, it's wonderful. And uh, it's just, uh, he, he, he ministered to Mark. Over half of what we call the New Testament was written by Paul and the, the people he worked with. It's just uh, amazing. We need three people in our lives. We need a pace setter ahead of us. We need a peer pal beside us that can say, don't do that or that's crazy. We need someone of the same sex that can talk to us. And then we need a pupil, someone that we can invest in. We need those three people. We need someone that has enough knowledge ahead of us that we can look to them and listen to them and they can give us counsel and we can pause. If you've got a pace setter ahead of you, you're a rich person. I tell you, I've looked all over the world to find a man that would let me get close enough that I could learn from him. And, uh, and so I had guys that many people wouldn't even know today, Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, Bill Bright, the president of Campus Crusade, A.W. Tozer, the marvelous pastor and writer in, from Chicago. I, I went after those guys and others, and I've spent time with them, and I've lived with them, and I've talked with them, and I've prayed with them. I wanted to learn from them. I'm hungry to, to grow. Uh, there's a verse of Scripture that says in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one. If one falls, because they have a good return for their work, if one falls, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. That's why we need that, that pace setter ahead of us, the peer. And then we need someone we can coach and mentor. Then you're rich and growing spiritually. We got a principle here. We, the principle is we must help put the Bible into people. The only two things in heaven will be the Word of God and those people who are born again. Oh, man, Barnabas not only gave himself to people, he gave money. It mentioned in Acts chapter 4 that, that uh, he, he gave a, sold a piece of property and, and, and gave it. He made an investment in the Lord's work there. You know, Luke 6:38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give unto your bosom. For by the measure you give, it shall be given back to you. Be big givers and watch the Lord pour it on you. He just does that. He encouraged. Also, he had a spiritual gift. His spiritual gift uh, was what they named him for. He was an encourager. He was a lifter. He saw the potential and the possibility in people and circumstances. Have you ever asked Jesus for his eyes to see the potential in people? 
it's easy to criticize, and I'm great at it. But oh, to see the possibility, and don't criticize first. Share the possibility. Share the potential. Give them the hug. Give them the joy. Tell them they're unique. Everyone is unique. Tell them they're special. Everyone is special. Look at people with the eyes of Jesus. Listen to their heartbeat. Listen to their yells and sounds and hurts and tears and joys with those ears of Jesus that you've given to him. Ah, oh, he encouraged with the gospel. In Acts 15, we see a very interesting thing that he did. Acts 15, uh, 26, it says in 25, uh, I, it seemed good to us, having assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Then get the next verse. Men who have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. Their lives were threatened, and they didn't stop. They continued to do the work. They put Christ first in their lives. He encouraged with the gospel and outreach. What is the gospel anyway? The word means good news, but what is the good news? A lot of people are mixed up on it. The gospel is getting that baptized, some people think. It's not. Gospel being a member of a church, it's not. Gospel trying to do good things, it's not. A missionary said, Waylon, give me a verse of Scripture that summarizes the gospel. It can be more than that, but it can't be less than that. You, well, I said I know the Roman road, Romans 3, 23, 6, 23, 5, 8, 10, 9, and 10. The Roman road and a lot of verses from Romans. He says, yes, I know you know those verses. But give me something else that's a summary of the gospel. He said, do you know any passage that tells you what the summary is of the gospel? I have been overseas, and I've heard a lot of people preach all over the world. I want you to know that many, many people called great preachers forget to give part of the gospel. I, 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 I'm, I'm listening and I hear these great men, and they talk about, oh, wasn't that great, the gospel? They goofed up. They didn't give all the gospel. And follow me. You're driving along on a road, and a truck has turned over, and the wheels are still turning, and there's smoke coming up from the engine. You pull the car over. You get out. You climb up there, and you realize the cabin has been crushed and the man is crushed in there and can't get out. You've got five minutes before it bursts into flames. Can you say and tell him enough to get saved? You've got we've got to know the gospel. We've got to know enough to where someone could receive Christ. I've talked to people and I shared the gospel. They prayed to receive Christ and they were dead in a matter of minutes. What is the gospel? Well, why don't we look it up? If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. This, this is a summary. It's not everything, but it's, it's at least the basic thing of what we need. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. 
I'm using my old King James here. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I declared unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Now here it comes. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And then he was seen of, of Peter and the Twelve and, and so forth, uh, proving his resurrection. Now, let's go over this carefully. The first thing he says, I delivered unto you how that Christ died. You must identify who Christ is. We're in a world where two billion people at least could not tell you who Christ is. That's uh, the word for the anointed one, uh, the Messiah. It's, it's, a, uh, it's really a technical term. And, but most people wouldn't know who is the Christ. Uh, they don't know. So first we must identify who it was who died for our sins. We tell them, they call him Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the one who came from God. He's God of every God. He's all God and he's all man together. Christ came to earth as a little baby in Bethlehem. And he grew up and told men what God was like. Some responded and followed him. Men and women uh, followed him with all their heart. And then people tried to kill him all along. Now, Jesus could have died in the first few months for our sins as a substitute on the cross and rise again, and his death would have paid for our sins, wouldn't it, if we had believed. But then why did he wait three and a half years to die? Three to three and a half years before he died. Because he had to train a band of men and women to take the message of his life, death, and resurrection to a lost world. If he hadn't trained the men, we wouldn't be here. And if you don't train men and women, you, this church, will not be here as it is. Churches don't live. Churches die. People live. And you win people to Christ. I don't know how many people you're baptizing a year, but I can tell you the number of people you're losing a year. If you're losing more than you're baptizing, you're dying. I don't know your stats, so I can't tell you. But when nurseries are full and there are new couples everywhere, the church is growing. When more than half the people are over 60, the church is dying. And most churches in the United States are dying. The statistics, people just don't go to church like they went to 20, 25 years ago. For a week after 9-11, man, the churches were loaded that Sunday. And then it, we got used to it. All right, number one, who is Jesus Christ? Christ, then what did he do? He died on the cross for our sins. He substituted 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ substituted for me. He died in my place. He took my sins. 
And God put my sins on Jesus Christ, and he said, put them on me. I'll take their punishment. So Jesus died as a substitute for me and you on the cross. Not only did he die, he was buried. Islamic people do not believe that Jesus, most don't believe he even died. And if he didn't die, he didn't bury. He ascended to heaven as a prophet. This is what they're taught. They're taught different things, but that's one of the ways that they're taught. And many people in the so-called Christian background uh, don't talk about Jesus shedding his blood on the cross. That's too bloody. They don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus. That cleanses us from all sin in that way. So Christ died for our sins on the cross as a substitute. He was buried. Let's get him buried. And then it says he rose again from the grave. I've heard some of the greatest messages on the cross of Christ dying for our sins, but they never got him raised. Here, here's some preaching on the radio or TV, and see if they mention the resurrection. They expect us to know. People don't know. If people knew that Jesus Christ, if, if you please, was walking around on planet Earth, they might be a little uh, more careful what they did wrong. But it's, it's even better than that. Do you know what happened when Jesus came back alive from the dead? He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going back to heaven, but I'm sending my spirit to you, and I'm going to live in you. Wherever you go, I will go. Whatever you experience, I will experience. And I'm going to come as the Son of God, and I will live in your body. You say, are there verses on that? Yeah, at least five or six. Uh, the most, uh, one we probably most familiar with would be Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now the Spirit lives in us too. We know that from John 14, 15, and 16. God the Father also lives in us. The Godhead lives in us. When we receive Jesus Christ, you're not alone. You get invaded. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 1.28, I want you to know the secret which has been hidden but is now revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there are a number of verses that, that say that. Uh, my wife is in heaven after 50 wonderful years together. And I'm in that, that big house cooking my own food or eating out. Gain a little weight on that one. And, uh, but... I can talk to the Lord. He's right there with me. Uh, I'm not alone. I'm never alone because Jesus Christ lives in me. And I, can, and I can even sing to the Lord. In fact, the verses of Scripture said, if you're going to sing, sing to the Lord. So I sing to the Lord because he can tune it up between heaven and earth, and it's pretty good up there, you know. By the time it makes it, he just tunes it up where everything I share it sounds like the, the greatest operatic star. I've already asked for the voice of Mario Lanza when I get to heaven because the life he lived was so bad, he, he's not going to be there, so there'll be no competition. <laughs> if you haven't asked for it, see, I asked for it. I want at least the voice of Mario Lanza. Some of you don't know who he is, but he was probably the greatest uh, operatic tenor of all time, and they wouldn't let him in the opera. He was too good. <clears throat> Uh, Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. Rose again to do what? To live in us, where we're never lonely again. To guide us by His Spirit. 
It's wonderful. That's, that's the gospel. That's the good news that, that, that Barnabas shared. <clears throat> he encouraged. Now, he had a spiritual gift, and all of, all of you have spiritual gifts. You'll find those seven gifts listed in Romans chapter 12. And they're listed, and you need to dis, dis, discover your spiritual gift. There are seven basic gifts in Romans 12. Well, there are other gifts in 1 Corinthians and, and Ephesians 4, but Romans was written after the others, and these at least there's no conflict or debate uh, theologically about them. Everyone has at least one of those seven gifts. We need to discover the gift. What was Barnabas' gift? Encouraging. And, and this is my gift. My gift is, 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 is encouraging. I didn't realize it, but people write me all the time and say, thank you, you encouraged me. And I'm kind of shocked. But, but that evidently is uh, one of the gift that God has given to me. And he encouraged with the gospel. He encouraged uh, with a spiritual gift. It says they taught a whole year. Uh, if you go back to Acts chapter 11. This is one of the most wonderful passages in all the Bible. I really, I really love it. And... Uh, they sent, things were happening at Antioch, so the Jerusalem church said, let's send Barnabas down to check it out. Is this really of the Lord? And the next verses give us that story. Acts eleven twenty two. When the tidings of these things came to the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad. Can you spot the grace of God? Uh, someone wrote a book, a psychologist wrote a book, Grace is Not a Blue-Eyed Blonde. I enjoyed that title very much. No, grace is not a blue-eyed blonde. Grace is the most powerful, fabulous thing that you can have. It's, it's God's riches at Christ's expense for you and me. It's giving us the opposite of what we deserve. It's it's, it's motivated by marvelous love, the grace. <clears throat> when he had seen the grace of God, he was glad. He wasn't jealous. Here's another church running 500, and we're only running 150. He wouldn't have been jealous. He said, praise God, they got 500 in there. He was glad and exhorted them all. The word ex exhortation has two sides to it. One is to lift, the other is to, to hit straight on and Get let someone change. So the par this particular gift is a as a double sided sword. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man. This is Barnabas, full of the Holy Ghost and faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. Then the next verse is a shocker. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. He left a red-hot revival meeting with people being saved by the hundreds all over the place. And he went to find a guy. Listen, the solution to every problem in your church is not money. It's not building. It's the right man or woman. They produce the money, the building, the vision, this thing and that. Everything is wrapped up in a man or woman that can follow Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> so... They, he, he brought him uh, back from Tarsus and brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass, and, 
in verse 26, that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Why? Because all they did was talk about Jesus, the Christ, the Christ, the Christ changed my life. Jesus changed my life. And so they marked that church with their testimony. That's wonderful. Christians first. Uh, the, the Greek word is the little Christians. They were little representations of, of the big son of God. And the church was, was full of them there. All right. <clears throat> Encouraged here. Now, he was a good man. You could look at all that. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. The great number were added. It's fabulous. The key to whatever need there is in the church is wrapped up in individuals. This is what God does. Now, just to show you the amazing reproduction through Barnabas. Barnabas invested his life and when no one wanted to be with Saul of Tarsus, he was a murderer. Barnabas grabbed a hold of, of Saul. Would you be Saul, sir? Stand up and be Saul. Come right out here. All right. Now, Saul, uh, Paul, Saul became Paul through the ministry of Barnabas. Well, now, uh, Paul eventually found a guy named Timothy. So find, find a, go find Timothy. <clears throat> Stand up, Timothy. <clears throat> now, Timothy uh, grew and traveled with him and became pastor of the church at Ephesus. P punch a row up there and everyone stand. Whoever you touch, punch to one person and everyone has to stand on the row. All right? Would you all stand? You're the church at Ephesus. But now, Paul, you also had a friend named Titus. Touch old Titus. And he became a pastor. Hi there, Tite. I mean, Titus. And good to see you, Titus. By the way, you're pastor of the church at Crete. So will you find a row and touch someone to be, your, to, to be yours? All right. With that row stand up, that's the pastor of the church at Crete. Now, Paul also was a tent maker, and he lived with Aquila and Priscilla. So touch a couple. Are, are they married? They're hugging. They may, maybe are married. Would it, Aquila and Priscilla, would you stand up, please? Aquila and Priscilla, and then they found a young guy that was brilliant, but people didn't want to be around him much. His name was Apollos. So you've got to find, find a guy named Apollos. You might have to move or point to him somewhere. Find Apollos. <clears throat> you got to get your hands out of your pocket if you're going to touch someone. Apollos, you're a little young. I'll accept it, though. Okay. All right. All right, now, I want you to see what was happening here. Now, I might say, also, go find your friend Philemon. He was pastor, really, uh, he, he had a family and there, and he really was a, one. Uh, all right, stand up, Philemon. And Philemon had a large house with slaves and everyone there, and many people believe that he, that he had a large church where he was. So touch the rest, uh, some people on a row. There you go. Sit on the back row, you have to stand up. <clears throat> all right. All right, now look. All of this began, Barney, where's Bar Barnabas? Come here, Barnabas. <clears throat> all right. All of you may be seated. Stand here, Barnabas, just a minute. I want you to see one person 
with a heart to encourage, multiply. This is what God wants you to do. It's not how many you have. It's how many have Jesus they're willing to share with others. That's the multiplication cycle. You're a teenager, you can multiply. You can witness to people at school or where you're in a club or something like that. Invite them to come to a party at your house. You serve them some hamburgers, and you give them your testimony and things like that and see the way the Lord works. It's the multiplication cycle. Addition will never change the world. We've got to multiply. And so I really need to say God is looking for a Barnabas or a Barnicious in this church. Thank you. I wonder if you will be that this year. You will invest in at least one other person and love them and lift them and encourage them and teach them how to share the gospel, maybe sit at Starbucks somewhere and invite a friend in with you, or you go to some place to eat and bring a friend along with you and just share your testimony. Just share what Christ has done in your life. Or on the job, you have a coffee break, just say, I got a secret I haven't told you. And if you use the word secret around women, they're really interested. <laughs> and so, especially if you use that word secret, then they want to say, you're going to tell me the secret. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, I, 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 I'll tell you tomorrow. I'll tell you the secret. And give them your testimony. Now, testimony involves three things. Before I received Christ, how I received him, and now since I've received him. Before, how, now. Simple. If you say, well, I don't, I'm, I, I don't have, have a, a play of words, we'll write out a paragraph on before. Write a paragraph on how you came to know Christ. Now, if you came to know Christ when you were very young, it's not going to identify very much with someone you're talking to who's 25 or 30. So I normally say I made a decision when I was young, but I was in university when God really hit me that I was an adult and I needed to bring that childhood decision up to date where I responded to Jesus Christ as, as an adult. And I made a new surrender and total surrender of my life to Jesus Christ. And I've done it a number of times. Uh, we need to keep doing it. And uh, not to get saved, but we've reached plateaus of needing to grow and so forth. All right. <clears throat> this, is, this, is, this is the multiplication thing. God's looking for a man and woman in this church who will love and lift and encourage so that you can multiply. God sent me here to ask you, will you be that man? Will you be that girl? Will you be that woman? I was preaching in Gainesville, Florida many years ago. <clears throat> the pastor had had a tragedy. Uh, he had accidentally run over one of his children. And the church was in mourning, and he said, no, I want you to come ahead. We need this. So, so I came ahead. Uh, not much happened at that meeting. <clears throat> And so I, but I, I went ahead and I spoke on discipleship like I've, I've, I've done here. And I was in uh, Africa and a missionary came up to me and he said, you don't know me. My name's Bill Steger. Uh, when I was 16, I heard you speak on being a disciple and multiplying your life. 
and God spoke to me, and I, I made a commitment. That's what I want to do. And so I graduated from high school. I graduated from college. I went to seminary. I eventually got my doctor's degree, and God called me to the mission field. But I want to thank you, Waylon, for sharing the need to multiply our lives into the lives of others. And it reminds us of that wonderful verse, Isaiah 60, 22. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time, Isaiah 60, 22. And there are other verses like that, you know, the familiar one that we use in 2 Timothy 2, 2, where Paul says, Timothy, the things you've heard of me among many, many witnesses, you must commit to faithful men able to teach others also. We say fat people, faithful, able to teach others also. And, and that's that multiplication. We do it physically through our children and grandchildren, but it's the spiritual thing that Jesus did. Why did he spend another three years on earth when he could have died any time for our sins? To train a band of men and women to take that message around the world. And that's why you're here. Would you be a Barnabas, Barnicious, or any, any other short name you would have for a female form of Barnabas? I'd love to hear it. Uh, I don't know what, to, what else to call you, but there's a number of women uh, listening here as well as men. May we go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> and will you talk to the Lord about this message on a guy named Barnabas that who got a fraction of the action, and he never wrote a book, but through Paul and Mark, he wrote half the New Testament. Inconceivable. He got a fraction of the action. And that's what the Lord does in us and through us when we're his. Will you be willing to say, Lord, let me multiply my life at least into one person who will reach someone else. I'll stick with them till they can reach someone else. Tell the Lord that. The future of the church is in your hands and hearts right now. The future of your family. I invested in my son and my daughter. I never asked God to make them a missionary or a pastor. That isn't my business. But I asked God to make them a faithful, loving, pure servant of his. And what he did with them was his business. But this is what I cried out to God. To model before them, in the frailty of my own life, enough so that they could know that I believed what I preached and I lived it at home. You've been listening and you're praying. If God has spoken to you and you're willing to make this decision to multiply as a Barnabas this year, would you lift your hand and put it down where I now? Thank you, thank you. I'm seeing. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I'm. Thank you. I'm seeing a number. Thank you. you may put her down. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. That's a number. Thank you, Father. I pray for those who lifted their their hands and hearts, and I pray for others that know this is what they need to do. Oh, Father, we're not on earth to chase balls. 
we're on earth to win and build men and women who will live forever in heaven or hell. Oh, Father, give us the priorities. And we thank you. We thank you for an opportunity through this fellowship and those listening to multiply all over the world. May we pray for our missionaries that they multiply. May we pray for our pastor and leaders in the church that they multiply. And each of us, oh, Father, you want us to multiply, and we can as we follow you and receive you into our lives and are willing to take up our cross daily and follow you. In Jesus' name, we praise you. Amen. Uh, this evening, by the way, I'm going to...